Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. The number of deaths from drugs in Ireland increased by 225% in a 25-year period. According to research which was conducted by a network of community organisations nationwide, these are the people who actually have their feet on the ground that are in the trenches and that are dealing with the issues that come around drug use, the sale of drugs, the crisis that happens in families because people are become addicted to drugs. They know what they're talking about. And yesterday morning, they held a webinar which was uh, opened by the Taoiseach Micheál Martin, which heard some very stark facts and statistics. Possession, um, prosecutions rather, for possession of drugs in that 25-year period was up by almost 500%. The incidence of cocaine use during that time was up by 10,000%. They called on Micheál Martin to call a citizens' assembly to deal with the issues of drugs. Now, it was promised in the programme for government so that uh, there will be a a review, at least, or a rethink on the approach to the drugs strategy here. Uh, The Taoiseach confirming his officials have been asked to draw up a broader programme to create pathways for people out of disadvantaged areas because in many cases the issues do go hand in hand. I'm going to be talking in just a moment uh, to Dr. Garrett McGovern, who's from the Priority Medical Clinic in Dublin. But we also want to get your views and your experience on this today. Are you somebody who's been a drug user or is a drug user? Do you think that, in actual fact, the uh, criminalisation of drugs is making the problem worse? Is it making it harder to correct and to help people who fall into drug use and drug addiction? drug addiction. In other words, are we getting the war on drugs all wrong? And the number is 0871880008. But I am now joined by uh, Dr. Garrett McGovern. Thanks very much for taking the time out to talk to us on the programme today. I was genuinely shocked yesterday when I saw those statistics. Over a 25-year period, a 10,000% increase in cocaine use and a 225% increase in the number of deaths from drugs. This while we have very tight uh, legislation around the control and use of drugs here, uh, Dr. McGovern. What's going wrong? Well, my own personal view um, is that the war on drugs is, is, is not serving the citizens very, very well. Um, I mean, we've, we've only known a kind of market where these drugs are illicit. So the only drugs that are, are, are illicit in Ireland are alcohol, tobacco, and, and be very clear, we haven't quite got that right either, particularly alcohol, yeah. and obviously prescription drugs. And again, there, there are problems there. But drugs like cocaine and heroin and cannabis and, there are, and, and other drugs, uh, ecstasy and amphetamine, are all... In, a, in an, an illegal paradigm, and it seems to, to me that there's a very strong relationship between the severity of drug laws and the harms associated with drugs. So I think we need to rethink. I mean, I'm not saying for one second we just legalise drugs in the morning and let everyone at it, but we really need an adult discussion about this, and I think the discussion should be based around the evidence and what we know. It seems to me that when we have these discussions, certain people have a particular point of view, a certain 
other group of people have another point of view and it's very polarizing and we don't really tend to look at the evidence in any objective way it's it's a very emotive kind of topic so i think if we're going to have a citizens assembly we have to do it on the basis of evidence and not ideology or good feeling or personal personal views you know and i think the way citizens assemblies in my experience of them at least have worked uh, heretofore is that they do tend to be um, a fairly you know inclusive kind of conversation with various stakeholders not unlike the way kind of you know especially about this committee's work, different stakeholders come in, they have their view, and from that then, the citizens who have assembled make a decision on the issue. But let's talk about some of the evidence that is there. When you talk about, when you say we're not looking at the evidence, what evidence is there for us to look at? Well, that's a good question, because there isn't isn't a kind of a, a, a model, I suppose, whereby you can look at a template anywhere in the world and say, look, they've legalized drugs in this country. But there are some examples of a regulated system. I'll give you some examples of that. If you look at the drug heroin, most people would say, oh, heroin could never be uh, legalised. Well, actually, there are countries like Australia and Switzerland and Spain and, and other countries in Europe where they have have not legalised heroin, they've medicalised it. So these are people... Um, that are very, very hard to reach heroin users, usually heroin injectors, who come to a clinic, who get meet a doctor, meet a nurse and meet uh, clinical staff and they are given heroin in a way that is safe and that is controlled and that is measured um, and then they leave and, and some of them, it's a bit burdensome for some because some of them, because of the short duration of action of heroin, they have to come back a few times a day. But what it has shown is, is that their health markedly improves by just the regulation of it. Now, that's a very strictly regulated system, granted, and you can't, there's no medicalization of, of cocaine. That, 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 that is true. But it does show you, if you look at all the evidence kind of internationally, that though that model of treatment works, another example of that, I suppose, would be, and it's not quite the same as legalization, but if you look at injecting rooms, there are about 100 supervised injecting rooms uh, internationally. Um, and growing. I mean, I think in um, Holland alone, there are about 30. The the evidence coming out of those in terms of treating this in a humane sort of health-led way uh, have been positive. And so there are examples, little pockets of examples of where you can regulate drugs and it can work. In Ireland, we, 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 we're well removed from that. We're talking about decriminalization. We're talking about going down a health-led approach. But really, nothing's happened. And that, that's kind of causing a lot of frustration for a lot of people who are advocating for different laws. I mean, I'm 30 years, 31 years a journalist. This conversation has been ongoing in the entire t- tenure of my career. But when you say when we look at things like injection centres yeah. and treatment options and you say they can work, what do you mean by work? What do they achieve? What are well, the results that well, we see? Well, well, it depends on what you call outcomes. I mean, for, for, for us, a lot of people think that the, the outcome should be that everybody's off drugs and nobody will use drugs. We're not going to live in a society where nobody uses drugs. We don't expect nobody to use alcohol and tobacco, although smoking rates are reducing. We're talking about what we call quality of life measures. So we're talking about reducing overdose. We're talking about reducing um, the harms associated, other harms associated with drugs like uh, blood clots. We're talking about drug-related crime because in order to keep a heroin habit going, it's it's quite expensive. So if you're given heroin in a in a in a, in a treatment centre, we know this from methadone maintenance and suboxone treatment, that it does significantly reduce the amount of what we'd call acquisitive crime. That's just simply crime committed in order to keep a drug habit going. So there's a lot of measures that you would use. They're not measures that nobody is going to use the drug. So we can kind of get away from this idea that we're going to live in a drug-free society. We don't. A lot of people use a lot of different drugs, including things like caffeine, which a lot of people don't, just, don't 
you know, cola drug, but all these things are psychoactive drugs one way or the other. So that's what I mean by better, less overdose, less cost to society, um, you know, to the community, to their family, less addiction in terms of, of the, the, the perils of addiction, all, all that comes with addiction. There's just, just, just tends to be less of it when you, when you regulate. You mentioned methadone. I mean, we have people who are on methadone, methadone programs or on and off them for decades. Yeah. Is, that, is that a success? Well, I mean, I, I, I obviously am biased, Tara, because I work in methadone treatment services um, and have done for the guts of the last 25 years. I mean, all, all I can say to you is this, without giving my own personal opinion on this, is if you look at the international evidence in terms of what it achieves, reducing overdose risk, reducing drug use, reducing acquisitive crime, reducing the transmission of HIV and hepatitis C, it is without doubt the most successful treatment. It's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. We have patients, unfortunately, who will either still use while they use um, uh, while, they're, while they're prescribed opiate substitution treatment I would say significantly less but like a, a success for us sometimes is to get away from injecting to smoking I mean it's a great smoking, it's not great for your lung smoking drugs like uh, heroin or crack cocaine mm-hmm. but it, 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 it certainly doesn't come with the overdose kind of burden that, um, that injecting does so our outcomes are a lot different than others and for me I see people who I treat who are working and are making good and are just simply on a medication. Yes, some of them are on lifelong medication. I, if they ever want to reduce their dose and, and, and look at a look at a, a coming off, it will always facilitate that. But I yeah. wouldn't have a view on it whether they achieve that on a medication or off a medication, just like any other chronic relapsing condition. Yeah, I was going to say as well, you know, I mean, if there's people who are on the likes of antidepressants for life and that's considered a success story rather than mm. some sort of a failure. How yeah. big a thing is stigma here? You know, the the stigmatisation that goes with the use of drugs and the, the, the purchasing of drugs and that and on all that goes with it. Huge. Um, and, and some drugs more than others. I mean, if you look at, say, the drug powder cocaine versus the drug crack cocaine, it, that's the same drug in a different format, and yet the stigma associated with crack cocaine is far greater than cocaine because cocaine is kind of people would perceive people would perceived as used by people who are kind of normal members of society, whereas yeah. crack cocaine is sort of seen by people who are living on the margins and nobody cares about. Mm. If you look at the drug heroin, incredible stigma associated with that. I mean, I could tell you stories and we could do a whole show on the examples of stigma. Just the mere knowledge that someone has learned that somebody has either used heroin in the past or currently used heroin and how they're treated, it's, it's, it's awful, Tara. I mean, I, I, I really mean awful uh, stigma. And we, we really haven't got a handle on it. And if you look at alcohol, interesting, the stigma with alcohol is, 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 a, is a strange one because it's okay to drink heavily in Ireland, but if you put your hand up and say, maybe I need treatment, then the stigma is associated yeah. with admitting you have a problem. You have a problem it's problem all, with it's this, bizarre. Yeah. I mean, it makes no sense. Stigma is bad and it's, it's harming people. Um, it's harming people a lot. And it's, it's a misunderstanding. Stigma is essentially based on a misunderstanding and not knowing the whole facts. And it's, it's only, I've, I've had people come to me who never known heroin addiction. Their family never knew heroin addiction. And somebody in the family gets addicted to heroin. And then the family, you know, the mother or the father gets quite knowledgeable on it and quite wants to understand more about it. And they tell me that, you know, 
there was lots of things I didn't understand about this disease, and now I understand it. Um, and I and they feel guilty about you know the fact that they stigmatised others. So it's all about understanding. It's about a knowledge. It's about an experience. And, and you what, when you say that they they might go off on a journey and try to understand things, what kind of things are they learning? What are the things that maybe some of the rest of us should be aware of? Well, when we see people in certain parts of towns and cities, and we think, oh, you know, and and, and listen. We're, none of us are immune from this, or most of us aren't immune from this, where you look at somebody and you kind of, your, your view of them is negative. Well, you must remember, a lot of the people that you will see, generally speaking, when you go into, you know, people talk about the boardwalk and you talk about the people in the boardwalk and everyone goes, oh God, they're out of their head or they use all this sort of stigmatising language. The reality of it is, is the, 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 the real story there often is uh, social inequality it's it's poverty usually um uh it's detachment as chi- adverse childhood events there's so much going on and people make judgments that 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 when they look at them they go in some way they're stupid i can assure you i treat many many patients mm. who are not stupid right they may have had very very difficult lives but they're not stupid and so people make judgments on them that in other words they don't matter they don't matter in this society. Nobody cares about them. Let them. Uh, I, I saw a picture on Twitter the other day. It wasn't in Ireland. It was actually in San Francisco. And there was a guy on the street who had overdosed and died. And people took pictures of him. And I, I really don't know. I, there were, part, of it was, part of it was well-meaning because they were trying to highlight the problem over there. Because there is a big, big problem with homelessness in San Francisco at the moment. But it, it, it was it was there were some very nasty comments in the thread line, as you can imagine. And really just... The person didn't wasn't a person anymore. That you know, they, 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 there's a story there, and a lot of people don't kind of realise there's a story. It's only when you learn about the story you begin to understand. So, how do families do that? When when they have experiences, they educate themselves. They they go and meet people who 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 have gone through it, families who have gone through it, and then the perspective changes. Talk about some of the evidence that we've seen in countries. People, whenever this debate does happen, mm. people talk, point to Portugal, for example, and the fact that they, re, you know, in recent years yeah. have moved to decriminalise certain levels of drugs and, and the, the sale and the use of them. What are we seeing there evidence-wise from the initiatives they've taken? Well, there's a huge number of different things. I mean, the overdose uh, rate has significantly reduced over in Portugal. There's more people who are coming forward for treatment who wouldn't otherwise come forward for treatment because the stigma has been reduced. In other words, it's, it's I don't want to use the word cool to come forward for treatment, but it's okay. Yeah. You're not going to end up in prison or anything like that. HIV and uh, hepatitis C transmission has significantly reduced. And I just want to be kind of very clear to, to the listeners so they understand this. Portugal did not legalize drugs in 2001. And my understanding is they don't intend to legalize drugs. That's my, my understanding. They just decriminalized it. So just to make the distinction very clear, criminalize, criminalizing people for uh, drug use or decriminalizing it, decriminalize it is so that when they're in possession of drugs and they're caught by the police, they're not charged. Yeah. Okay, whereas legalization is a legal market. So, you know, people often say, what does that look like? Well, it's not too different, I guess, from a legal market for alcohol and tobacco. In other words, it's regulated, there's quality control. Um, We can do better research into uh, the drugs because we now know that we can be sure that we're researching the actual drug and not all the impurities that go with it because that complicates research. So. Portugal has been very, very successful. There's a lot of people want to kind of find fault with it. You know, there's always this kind of idea that, well, they're normalizing drug use out there. I mean, I think people need to understand that cocaine use in Ireland has already been normalized. That, 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 
that the horse has bolted a long, long time ago. I mean, the drug use in this country, as you can see from the figures you mentioned at the top of the show, it's huge, huge. I, I work, our radio station is in an area of um, of the Docklands um, in, in Dublin. And I will nip next door for a coffee or maybe go for a quick break and a walk around the block. The pervasive smell of cannabis in the air is unreal. Everywhere yeah. you go, you get on or off a train, you can smell cannabis. You get on or off a bus, you can smell cannabis. You walk out of a, shoop, a, a, a supermarket, you can smell cannabis. Yeah. I don't remember that from when I was a teenager or a young adult. Yeah, I mean, cannabis use has uh, hugely increased. There's no question about it. And, um, you know, but I suppose the other side of that is that at the moment it's still illegal. And the question is, do we keep it illegal or do we make it legal or do we decriminalise? I mean, my own feeling is we're not going to get legalisation of cannabis probably any time soon at the current rate things are going. But the point being that, you know, although like all the other drugs, but like like this, I mean, you know, if you saw people, in, and, and look, we do see people injecting heroin or smoking heroin on, on the streets and on public transport and stuff like that as well. But the level of pervasiveness of cannabis, the fact that it's illegal is not have, does not seem to be having any impact whatsoever. No. People are, are in huge numbers are using it. And I'm talking about on their smoke break in work, you yeah. know, in the morning. Yeah. Like, this is, this is something it's, that's not like maybe cocaine, which is being used in nightclubs or, or before the people go out partying. And I understand it's not just confined to that either. Well, 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 this is the problem, you see. I mean, you look at how many people are using, drug, uh, using cannabis. I mean, if we're going to sort of change the law in relation to cannabis, we're trying to change the law so that there is less harm associated with it. The issue of smoking it outside and smelling it and so forth, I don't know what the answer to that is because it's not going to change whether you make it legal or illegal. Yeah. But I would sort of argue strongly that, you know, the, the, the laws are a bit disproportionate. I mean, if the, if the law is that, you know, the most harmful drugs are are made illegal, then we've got it a little bit wrong with cannabis because it isn't the most harmful drug. Although I would argue that in certain people, I mean, people often ask me what's the most harmful drug. The most harmful drug is the drug that harms you. Mm. But there's no doubt about it. If you look at the evidence, and there's been a great study done by Professor David Nutt in in, in London. and he, we, we, he, we spoke to he, Professor yeah. Nutt on the programme yeah. last week. Yeah. And, and, and he looked at, you know, the you know, from the pantheon of drugs and their their harms, you know, what's the most uh, harmful. And, you know, it won't surprise people that drugs like alcohol and tobacco figure figure fairly highly. Uh, and people often use that argument against legalisation. They'll say, well, those drugs are legal and they're causing harm. And I say, well, yes, but we should be very grateful they're legal because, I, you know, if you think the drug wars are harmful and bad, you'd want to see what the alcohol wars would be like. I mean, now we have obviously evidence of that back in the 1920s in the US and stuff. So can I say this? There's no, there's no panacea or magic bullet to this. I mean, people are going to use drugs. The question is, can we change the drug laws so that we make the drugs less harmful and it has an impact, particularly on citizens, um, and I believe we could change. We could. We could. We could at least look at it. Even we could do it on a pilot basis. I hate to use the word pilot, but we could do it on a trial basis yeah, and measure out. Expand it from that. So from there, my yeah. last question for you, then, um, uh, Dr. Garrett McGovern, if you were the Minister for Drug Strategy tomorrow, mm. what concrete steps would you take to get us started, at least? I, I would decriminalise uh, all drugs for uh, for personal use straight away across the board. Just. Get rid of it immediately. Everything. Not criminalise. Absolutely every drug that people take for personal use, I would decriminalise tomorrow and I wouldn't spare the horses. That's the first step I would take in relation to that. The other ones take 
will take a lot of ironing out and discussing. And I absolutely respect anybody who thinks legalising drugs is a bad idea. I respect their opinion, but it does require discussion, an adult discussion, looking at what evidence we have out there, but definitely decriminalisation, yeah. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Dr. David from the um, Priority Clinic in Dundrum. It is an interesting conversation. It is one that the Taoiseach has already pledged and the Programme for Government has pledged to uh, to have. How do you feel about it? Do you have experience of either yourself or family members who were that stigmatised individual? Did it prevent you coming forward for treatment? Did it impact on your health maybe in a bigger way than it would have done if there had been access to injecting centres? Let us know what you think about the war on Drugs. And the show today brought to you as always by Hyundai Dundrum. Come and see the all of the Hyundai range at Hyundai Dundrum. Uh, we're talking about the war on drugs. Uh, our guest, Dr. Gareth McGovern, outlining that if it was up to him and he's at the cold face of dealing with uh, drug use and addiction, he would decriminalise all the use of all drugs tomorrow. He wants a proper adult discussion on the issue and a health-led approach. Uh, Patrick, you're welcome to the Nile Boylan Show on Ireland's Classic Hits. Are you one of the people who sees that maybe we need to be looking at this, it hasn't worked up to now if the death rate is spiralling, if the use of cocaine is literally, absolutely off the scale that we were, something somewhere is wrong. Yeah, no absolutely 100%. I would be for full legalisation as well um, similar to what Switzerland had brought in and Switzerland is a much more conservative country than Ireland. They have full legalisation of heroin so people who have an addiction get a prescription, they get mentally pure heroin so you know, stuff that they would probably kill to get on the streets. Uh, diamorphine, which is given out in hospitals in Ireland today for pain. People get heroin in their, you know, they may not know, they might not describe it as that, but it is heroin that's inside their kind of drips and things like that. If someone's in a car accident, they're mm. in severe pain. You know, people who, and he, he touched on it as well, people who are addicts generally have adverse childhoods and that's usually the root cause of their addiction. So we shouldn't be looking at them in the sense of that they, they're scumbags or this and that. There's usually a reason why the 20, only 20% of people do get addicted to heroin when they use it. So there's 80% that don't. So we do have to look why it has only 20% become addicted to a substance and other people don't, you know. It's because well, I mean, we're not all manufactured argue, the same or you could argue the, the same, same Patrick, for alcohol as well, you know. I mean, yeah, many but, people use alcohol, um, you know, sparingly and in the the, the means yeah. and capacity for enjoyment and relaxation. Yep. But obviously and, there are people who use it in a different way. Yep. No, no, 100%. Like, I, 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 I have my own bar, so I know well. Every alcoholic that you meet will, have, meet will have some sad story as to why their life went down the wrong path and why they got addicted to the alcohol. It's the same premise for heroin. It's the same premise for really any drug. Our brain develops differently as a kid. If, I, if you have a parents that beat you and don't show you any love, you're far more inclined. And the, the adverse childhood study, and that gentleman wouldn't know all about that, I'm sure, did show that that is the root cause of, of the vast, vast majority of addictions could be child abuse could be anything 54% of people who are uh, morbidly obese and addicted to food were sexually abused as kids so there's a correlation there to, to nearly all addictions and if people were to google it on your shoulders there was a mass addiction to gin of all products and you know how popular and you know this as a lady <laughs> it's, it's so popular there's so many variants you know it's been drank probably like never before it's come so trendy there was a yeah, gin craze in the UK 
when yeah. people were being moved from the countryside into cities, into slums, to you know, to to get them to work, you know, obviously the industrial revolution, they, a lot of them all turned to gin. That was a big thing, and there was there was anti gin propaganda that all these problems with gin. We just need to get rid of gin, and that that seems ridiculous now that people are saying, oh, we need to get rid of gin. That that's why they're all addicted to gin. We just need to get rid. And it wasn't that people are living in deprivation, being taken from rural dwellings to live in slums in Manchester and London. And it's the same premise today that you you can get rid of heroin to, the cause of addiction, which is usually an adverse childhood, full of abuse or lack of love or whatever. That's the cause. So we need to legalise it completely, prescribe it, regulate it. And I mean legalise all drugs. Cocaine and psychedelics were, were legal in the US. The only problem they ever had was they, when they made it illegal. And if people look it up, like cocaine was once illegal in the early 20th century in the well, States. I mean, it was at one stage one of the one of the ingredients in the original formula of Coca-Cola. So yep. it was very, yep. very much legal. But what about people who will say that, you know, it's excuses, it's people using bad childhoods or it's people, yep. you know, who just don't want to try, don't want to work, don't want to be a proper part of society, you know, that it's their own choice, that they're going down this, that any one of us could make those decisions, yep. but we just don't. Uh, well, none of us, none of us choose to have the childhoods that we had. I, I, I've addicts in my family, and the, I won't get into the reason why they would be. But there wasn't a whole pile of love in our house growing up, so I understand mm-hmm. them. And I, I feel very guilty how we treated addicts until I kind of read a few books and got educated. And I feel very guilty how we treated addicts in my family in the past. Completely different now. If anyone ever has a problem, I'll be the first one to help them now because I understand it. But it, no one chooses to have the childhood that they had. And it's easy even to say to an alcoholic, "Oh, well, no one made you pick up the drink." Everybody drinks alcohol. Nearly everybody. Not everyone chooses to be addicted. No one grow, woke up on this. I'm going to get addicted to this subject, this substance that everybody drinks nearly on it. There's pubs every day, everybody drinking it without any hassle. Because nobody chooses for that little mechanism in their brain to click to say, you, you need that or I'm going to shake and control you in the morning. You yeah. need to get me in your body. No one chooses to be an addict. And it's the same for every substance. Put them all in the one bracket. Nobody chooses to be addicted to even food or anything. No, oh, people you, are addicted to their phones. And actually, we have, we have, we were, we'll be having a conversation uh, early next week around the issue of food addiction. It came up uh, during mm-hmm. a conversation. I we did. Were having... I sent a text, but it was late at the end. <laughs> okay. Honestly, if you Google it, 55% of people who are morbidly obese were sexually abused as children. A lot of times it was a defence mechanism for them to not be abused anymore. They make themselves overweight yeah, and unattractive. I've, I've, I've heard so. that premise before. You said you worked in the bar trade. Do you see yep. much evidence of uh, people um, using illegal drugs while they're out and about on nights It's out? everywhere, yeah. And it's a rural place that I am it's everywhere now yeah absolutely everywhere it's 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 massive in like I, I'm from a very working class part of Dublin mm-hmm. my local bar it's rampant and the, the bouncers don't even go in the toilet because they know what they're going to see when they walk in you know so it's everywhere. People say, oh, we don't want to normalise drug use. It's normalised. It's absolutely everywhere in every part of Ireland. Yeah. And it's just the way, it's how you control it that people don't get addicted or kind of, you know, harm reduction. And, you know, but Switzerland, they, they twice went to, they have a direct democracy. So they, the right wing in Switzerland have twice tried to get rid of legalisation. It's twice gone to a national referendum. It's twice got over two towards support to keep it as it is. So they don't want to go back to the, to the Irish way and yeah. the American way of prohibition. They want to stay the way they are. They don't want their, their parks full of needles and people. Like, uh, Legalisation actually reduced, like Noel always says this, it'll increase drug use. And again, I know he Googles this and I'm telling him he just won't admit it. I know he Googles it. He, I'm sure he looks it up or he has a research. Or, like intravenous drug use is down 50% in Switzerland when they, when they legalise it. So there's no argument to say keep punishing addicts for their addiction and that'll make it better you know just say no keep uh, 
he keep just punishing them. You know, it's a, it's a complete wrong thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I think it is. You know, it's one of those one of those things that's not as simple and straightforward as it looks on the surface. And I mean, you know, after doing it, what did they say? The definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Maliki, uh, do you think that that's what we should be doing? That we should be doing it the same way again? That there is no nut to crack here? That there are always going to people who who are going to be prone to addiction and leave them off? Well, well, good afternoon, Sarah. Firstly, I, I hope, like most of your listeners, um, to prove Bernard Dorkin wrong tomorrow night um, and we can have a different conversation then on Monday. <laughs> this but is about the have... lotto, is it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, look, get back to us, or but I might not be here because if I have a bit of success, I'll be, be gone. <laughs> See you at the airport. Particularly if I got it tonight. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what it is tonight, but uh, yeah, might might invest in a ticket when I when It'll I leave the enough. office today. <laughs> so tell me where you are on, on the on the issue of the of the decriminalisation of drugs is what Dr. Gar- well, McGovern said he would do tomorrow, and he's he's you know right in the trenches with this. Well, he's somebody who's in the industry and who's making quite a good living out of the industry, I imagine, and and that's the problem. Well, now you make and, it sound. Sorry, now hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa! You make it sound as though Dr. Garrett McGovern and other people in the medical profession who maybe choose to specialise in this area that, like, they're setting up small businesses nearly to to deal with it in the way that you might set up, I don't know, a coffee shop or a uh, you know selling bacon sandwiches in an area where there's a building boom. It's, it doesn't quite work that way. Well, what we have in this country is a multi-billion pound industry around attempting to solve the problem. We have multitudes of repetitive so-called community groups fully funded by the taxpayer whose job it is is supposedly to decrease the use of illegal drugs. They have totally failed because all of these organizations and groups are concerned about ensuring that they have a, a captive audience for to continue their own programs. Now, nobody, neither the doctor nor, nor Patrick, I think it was there, mentioned the one key issue in this is responsibility and responsibility for yourself. I would love to go to the pub now, I'm sure many of your listeners would, and sit there for the day drinking and abandon my family and any responsibilities I might have so that I could be happy and I could have a selfish life. I've had drug addicts in my family, some who have recovered, others who are dead because of their greed. And that's the, the, the key thing in all of this. And I don't, I'm sick and tired, Tara, of hearing people saying, oh, everybody who's on drugs was abused as a child. You don't, nowhere, you don't go along with that. Nowhere in, nowhere in any of this discussion do people say, that people make a decision. It's like, oh, they fell into drugs. Everybody knows what doing coke or heroin will do. And the, what, what we have here is now an agenda being pursued by the liberal and middle classes to, to at least decriminalise cocaine because the vast bulk of them are banging coke up their nose at the weekends. And this goes right through the entertainment industry, the media industry and the political class. But Ma- Maliki, 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 look, there's, all, the, look there's, no, there's no denying that the use of cocaine is widespread across society and there it's is the a huge issue with country. it. Right. So, right. So here you go. Should we not be using the money that is being spent to so-called fight the drugs war to look at areas like detection and investigation around the sale? 
if you were to well, legalize you know it or decriminalize the, the use. To all those questions. Well, well, what we've done, when, when, when we campaigned for methadone in the late 80s and early 90s, we were somewhat naive because we wanted and we were told that methadone would be brought in as a detox, not as a maintenance. And people who are still alive who went on methadone in the 90s through clinics um, that the, the doctor works in and other clinics around the state, either they're dead or they're still on methadone. And that's the reality. Nobody comes off methadone through the state programme. It's but, a maintenance. But here's the thing, and I mean, I think that um, that uh, Dr. Um, Garrett McGovern acknowledged that. He said that in actual fact, if that's keeping them off heroin, and if that's keeping them from robbing people's houses or robbing people's handbags, if it's keeping them in touch with services whereby their physical and emotional health is going to be better, that that is actually a good outcome. But Tara, isn't that the, the point that people like me made many years ago, that the reason that we even got methadone was to stop burglaries in middle-class suburbs? And now, ah, here, so listen, the, the crime rate is right across. It's not, look, you crime, know... No, hold on, the crime rate, the crime rate, Tara, in general has dropped because most drug, drug addicts are feeding their habit by selling drugs. That's the reality. Most of the the, the, the people who are... Addicted to drugs. So what would you do, Maliki? Then. So people. what would you what do, would do? Maliki? Would you? What would you do? Would you? Would you saw the country in half, and anyone who has a drug or alcohol addiction or any kind of an addiction goes on one half, and you float it out into the Atlantic? Is that what you okay, do? Okay. Firstly, we we have no more detox beds in-house detox beds now than we had 30 years ago. And I don't think, any, no I, Maliki, I don't change, think right? anyone is arguing against that, the need for more detox beds, the need for but more Maliki, supports Karen, for people. You're asking, me, you're asking me for an answer and I'm giving you an answer. So let me, let me give you the answer, right? We don't have any more than we had 30 years ago. Why not? Surely, and you've just said that that's something everybody knows and we should have, right? Why haven't we got it? Right? Why... Do people, why, why do we allow drugs in every pub, as, as Patrick said there, in the country, in every nightclub? How is it that something that's illegal, right? You can't go into to a nightclub, you know, or a pub without a COVID pass, but you can go in with a bag of coke in your pocket. I'm still waiting you know, for your answer, Maliki. I'm still waiting for your answer. What would you okay. do? Well, well, I've, I've said to you, firstly, there should be... De- more detox beds, and there should be forced detox, right? There should be no maintenance, no methadone maintenance. That should be scrapped. And people who who don't want to to come off drugs should not be encouraged by the state through injection centres and through all these other programmes to stay on drugs. The the, the simple question for, for you, Tara, or for your listeners, or for anybody else is, will you go home today and give your teenager a bag of weed, a bag of coke, or a needle... And well, now here, that's you know, Maliki, you're verging on the ridiculous now at this stage. And if you actually listened to what um, to what our our expert in the field said when they came on, how you know, it's all well and good saying, "Oh, get put more detox beds." How you reach the people who have the addiction problems in the first place, as has been proven, is to have them engaged in services like injection centres and actually have them, you know, have them understand that there is support and help there to get them off drugs. But you have to be able to decriminalise and take away the stigma, according to our expert, at least. 
Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hit.